Good afternoon, everyone. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We're a local congregation. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. That's just up Dumbarton Road. You'll come to the police station first. And opposite the police station, you will see a hill go up there. And you'll first of all come to Thornwood Primary School. And then you'll meet our building at the crossroads next door to it. And we will give you all a warm welcome to come along. Any Lord's Day, that's Sunday, at 11 a.m. or in the early evening at 6 p.m. We also have a, a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30. Um, we would extend a sincere and warm welcome to you to attend any of these services. We are grateful for the opportunity to be able to come out on the street and to publicly as best as we can in the limited time in order to proclaim uh, the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ the Lord is the very sum and substance of Christianity. There would be no Christianity without the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we want to come out and for the few moments that we're with you, we want to be able to share something of the good news of the Christian gospel. And I'm sure you might be aware that today in the time that we live in, it is good to hear some good news. I put it to you, friends, that we are surrounded by bad news. And we are in a, a culture of fear. This is what we are hearing continually from our media. Only last week, is it not true that the COP27 conference was held somewhere in Egypt? And is it not true that what was coming from that COP conference is that as a planet, we're in dire situation. There's a lot of fear and scaremongering going on. Many are telling us that it is the last days for this planet. And if we don't change our lifestyle, and if we don't abandon using fossil fuels, then they're trying to tell us that basically it's the end and there will be no future for our our children or our grandchildren. Now, how true is that? It seems if we listen to the scientists and if we listen to what's pumped out from the media, then there is really no hope for us unless we change dramatically. Well, it might surprise you, but you know the Bible speaks about these things. The Bible is the Word of God. It's God's revelation to us. And the Bible speaks about things that are prominent in contemporary society. And one of the things it speaks about is this world. And that's not surprising considering that 
God is the one who has made this world. In the very first, right at the very beginning of the Bible, we have in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And therefore, it's clear and surely it's obvious that being the creator, God will have something to say regarding his creation. And he does. And do you know, friends, that the original creation was destroyed by a flood? Yes, we know there will be people who today will scoff at that. But that's what the Bible teaches us. And even as we look at the environment that we live in, it's clear that this environment has been shaped by a worldwide flood. God destroyed the ancient world because of the wickedness of man. And this world as we know it today is shaped and formed by that great worldwide flood that happened many thousands of years ago. But for our consideration today, with the climate change and global warming ever more uppermost in the media's minds, the Bible tells us that this present world, the world that we live in today, is also reserved to be destroyed. But it will not be destroyed by a worldwide flood as it was earlier. No. We are told, if you want to go to your Bibles, and if you want to read from Second Peter chapter 3, you will be informed there that this present world is destined to be destroyed by fire. Let me read that verse to you. You might find that surprising. Well, I would urge you to take up your Bibles and read your Bibles, and you will be really informed of the things that will happen to this world. In Second Peter chapter 3, and at verse 10, here Peter is talking about the end of the world, that time when the Lord Jesus Christ will return in the clouds. And he says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. There, Peter writing some 2,000 years ago, was telling the early Christians who were facing a great deal of persecution that one day this world as we know it, the world that we live in day by day, one day it shall be destroyed by fire. Now, I realize that many of you may well be scoffing and you may well be saying, well, that is a load of rubbish. Who's going to believe that? Well, I believe it. And I believe it, friends, because it is the Word of God. And God's Word has come true in the past. And there's no reason why it should not come true in the future. Peter says, talking about this subject again, about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he talks about that days. He talks about the last days. And he says in that same chapter, chapter 3, verse 3, 
knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts. Do we not live in the last days? Are there not many scoffers today? How many people believe the word of God today? How many people believe that God created the heaven and the earth by his word in the space of six days and all very good? How many people believe that God is the ultimate creator, the one who made all things, the one who made ourselves? And is God the one who... Is, do we believe in this God who destroyed the, the ancient world with a flood? Is it not true that many of us scoff at these things? You know, friends, Noah was given a warning. He was told to make an ark. And he did. And he had the help of the people round about him. The ark was a huge structure, and he could never make it himself. But for 120 years, he was making the ark, and he was also what is called in the Bible... He was also a preacher of righteousness. And he was going around telling people, men, women, boys and girls, he was telling them to repent. And he was telling them that God was going to send a flood that was going to destroy this world. And they all laughed at him. They thought nothing of him. They thought he had lost his marbles. He was out of his mind. And for 120 years he preached a preacher of righteousness, telling people to repent because God was going to send a flood. And that was quite remarkable. Why was it so remarkable? It was remarkable because up until that point, there was no rain. God had not sent rain upon the world. Yet, Noah was telling them... Shut that, the fuck up, fucking idiot. That's not very nice, sir. That's not very nice. I can see... And I can hear, out of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Friends, when we speak like that, it tells us something about our hearts. It tells us what's in our hearts. And Jesus says, out of the heart come these things. And that would tell us that our hearts are wrong. And indeed, that's what Noah would be saying way back thousands of years ago to his contemporaries, telling them to repent, telling them to believe that indeed God was going to send a flood. And, as I said before I was interrupted by that gentleman, God had never sent rain upon the earth. He never sent rain, yet Noah was telling them that the rain was going to come. And more than that, not just rain, but torrents of rain. Rain after rain after rain, day after day for 40 days, he was telling them. And no wonder, because God had revealed this to him. And many thought he was mad. And that's the way it is today, friends. When we come out in the street and when we seek to bring you God's Word, many people will pass by and many people will shake their heads and they'll say that that poor man's lost his marbles. But this poor man is telling you the truth as it is in Jesus. This poor man is telling you that one day this world as we know it will be destroyed. And it will not be destroyed because of man's use of fossil fuel or because of pollution or anything else it will be destroyed when God sends a fire to destroy this world and how will we fare on that day how will we fare how will we stand on that day when the Lord Jesus Christ shall return sorry sir
What? God is angry with sinners every day. Every day. That's a terrible thought, is it not? But the good news of the Bible is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I began earlier on talking about the climate of fear that's in our society today. It is being pumped out by the media and those with power and authority over us. And I want to tell you that this is something that Jesus predicted. Do you know that Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. What a bold claim from the Son of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. And one time he was talking to his disciples about the end of the world, about the time when he will return. Because when he returns, this world that we know of and live in will come to an end. And we will enter into the eternal state. And as he was telling them about the time when he will return, this is part of what he said. You'll find it in Luke's Gospel, and at chapter 21, and beginning at verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. I put it to you this afternoon. Is this not true of us today? Do we not live in a climate of fear? Was that climate of fear not seen at the, the COP27 conference that was held last week? And we might add the COP26 conference that was held in Glasgow just over a year ago. Did it not seem to you that there was indeed a climate of fear? Amen. Fear, nothing but fear. Fear the weather, fear the climate. And do we not fear the cost of living? Do we not fear the war in Ukraine? Do we not fear the price of fuel to power our cars and to heat our homes and the cost of living? Are we not living in a climate of fear? Is it not being pushed upon us? We fear this, so we fear that. This is what's been before us. Friends, why is it we're so fearful of these things? Let me tell you why. Let me provide the answer to you. We have abandoned the fear of God. Because when you fear God, friends, all of these things will be irrelevant to you. You'll be able to face everything if we have the fear of God. For the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And this is something that we lack as a nation. We do, we do not longer have the fear of God. And therefore, what do we have? 
we fear everything else. And maybe the primary fear at this moment with many people is climate change. But what does Jesus say about his coming and about the end of the world? And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. Is that not true? Has that prophecy not come to light? Has it not come to fruition today? Is there not indeed uh, a, a fear that has gripped the nations? It's gripped our politicians. It's gripped our scientists. It's been pumped out of our media all the time, feeding this, feeding that. Perplexity of nations. Is that not what we find today? Nations are seeking to grapple with problems and they cannot handle them. They're full of perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. Is that not true? Are the scientists not telling us that uh, the ice is melting and the oceans are warming and they're rising? Is that not true? Does the Bible not say this? Didn't Jesus say this some 2,000 years ago? Let me read it again. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. They're scratching their heads. The sea and the waves roaring. Man's hearts failing them for fear. Fear is dominating society today. From the youngest to the oldest, it's fear, fear, fear. Well, friends, we have good news for you this afternoon. Who are you to fear? What should you fear? You're to fear the living God. Why? Because ultimately, your destiny, your life, everything is bound up in the Lord our God. He's the one who made you. He's the one who formed you. He's the one who has given you a law to obey. And you know what, friends? We haven't obeyed that law that he's given to us. And that's why the Bible calls us sinners. Oh, this is something we don't like to hear. This is something that we don't like to take on board. Oh, but the Bible tells us this. God would have us know the truth. What is the truth? For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There we are. There's God's verdict upon your life and upon my life, upon your behavior and my behavior. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means we have missed the mark. We have not lived to the standard that God has set for us. God's law is completely holy. It is inflexible. It will not change for you or for me. God will not lower his standards in any way. And if we are to be found in glory, we must meet his standards. And therefore, I hope as you're listening that you're beginning to realize that we have a real problem. Yes, we have a real problem. And our problem is we're not right with God. And why are we not right with God? We're not right with God because we have sinned. We're sinners in His sight. And we're sinners by nature. And therefore we're not right with God. 
happen then? Maybe, well, you're asking me, minister, is there any hope? Have you any good news? Is not Christianity good news? Yes, it is. But we'll never appreciate and we'll never understand the good news until we first recognize our plight. And what is our plight? Our plight is that we must stand before a holy God. A God who will not compromise. A God who has perfect standards and they must be met. What can we do? What has been done? Is there hope? Yes, there's hope. There's hope when we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is God's answer to our greatest problem. And our greatest problem is that we're sinners. Sinners in the sight of God. But Jesus Christ has come to do something about it. What has He come to do? He's come to suffer. He's come to die. He's come to pay the price of our sins. He's come to fulfill God's law on our behalf. And you know, maybe you don't know, maybe I'm telling you something you don't know at all. The great and the glorious news of the gospel is that the righteousness of Christ is given to those who believe upon him. That is remarkable. That is beyond what we could possibly expect. Why? Because we are the ones who have offended God. We have sinned against Him. Yet God is the one who has provided a way of salvation. He has worked out a way whereby sinful mankind could be reconciled to Himself. You know, our problem is so great that not only do we not recognize it, but even if we were to recognize it, we have no desire or no inclination to be reconciled to God. We're happy in unbelief. We're happy to head into eternity and to, be, and to perish and to be condemned. But such is God's love towards mankind he has done something he has taken the initiative what has he done he has provided a savior and who is that savior we know that we live in a day and in a time when there are a multitudes of religions we are awash with religion but religion will save no one. None whatsoever. There's only one way to be saved, friends. There's only one way to be right with God. What is that way? That way is through believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Himself told His disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man goeth to the Father but by me. Here he is making a very dogmatic statement. And in today's climate, it is very unpolitically correct. But it's true. It's absolutely true. 
because He is the only one who has come from heaven. And He's the only one who has returned to heaven. He undertook His work. He lived a perfect life. He obeyed the law of God perfectly. And what's more, He paid the penalty for that law that was broken. He Himself did not break the law, but He stood in the room and in the place of others who have broken that law. And then when He gave up Himself as that once for all perfect sacrifice, there He actually secured salvation for His people. Now, what is salvation? It's not a word that we use in common conversation these days. But what is it all about? What does salvation mean? Salvation means to be set free. And what Jesus did by His life and death and resurrection, He secured a salvation where all who will come to Him shall be free from the guilt of their sin. They shall be free from the power of sin. And one day in glory they shall be free from the very presence of sin itself. That's the salvation that Jesus Christ has won for His people. And friends, although you might not realize it, this is the salvation that you need above and beyond anything else. You might have many needs. You might need to get a job or another job. You may be looking for a spouse. You may be looking for a flat or a home. You may have many, many needs. Maybe you might even be homeless and you might be a poor individual and you might be looking for your, your first meal today. But this need that I'm talking about excels all of these needs. What is that need we're talking about? The need to deal with your sin, with your personal sin. And that's what Jesus Christ has come to do. That's the salvation that He has secured. And that's the salvation that is freely offered to every one of us. Again, you might well be saying to me, Minister, but that's fine, but I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I don't need to be saved. I'm a righteous individual. And when I will go the way of all the earth, and when I will stand before my Maker, I have nothing to fear. Maybe that's what you're thinking to yourself. Friends, that's not what the Bible says. And we must go to the Bible. We take our Christianity and we take our theology from the Bible. And the Bible would tell us that there is none righteous. There's none righteous in the sight of God. And that's a terrible thing. Because God is one who deals with sin and who will not in any sense overlook sin. Yes, He does, sir. Yes, He does. And you know the Bible speaks to young people. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You'll find that in a, a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. 
You'll find it in chapter 12. It was written by the man at that time who was the wisest man that ever lived. And his name was Solomon. And he was the king of Israel. And he was a great king. He was a mighty king. He was indeed a powerful king, a rich king, and a wise king. And he had everything this world could give him. It seems ridiculous to us, we know, but he had 700 concubines. He had 300 wives. He had all, every pleasure that this world could give him. He had it. And whatever he wanted, he could buy. And his verdict upon his life and his advice to you and I this afternoon would be, remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. What's his exhortation to us? What is the Bible telling us this afternoon? It's telling us to get right with God. It's telling us to get right with God while we still have energy, while we still have life. Now's the time. The Bible makes it clear to us. Today is the day of salvation. Here we are, Friday, the 25th of November 2022. This is the day of salvation. This is the time to get right with God. However poorly we are presenting the gospel, we are telling you in the fear of God, we're telling you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, to call upon Him while He is near. We're telling you to repent. That means to turn away from your sins and embrace the Lord Jesus. Call upon this great Savior that you might have your sins forgiven and that you might have the gift of eternal life. And friends, this is why we come out. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're at a local congregation. We're all local. We all minister from this area. And we meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace, Upton Barton Road. You'll come to the police station. Opposite the police station, go up that hill there. Yes, I know the hill's a bit of a climb, but go up that hill. You'll come to Thornwood Primary School, and then you'll find our building next door. And we would extend a warm welcome to you. Come along on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 a.m. or again at 6 p.m. And also we meet on Wednesday for a prayer meeting at 7.30. And you would be made most warmly welcome to any or all of these meetings. We're going to take a short break. And may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland. A local congregation. We're a registered Scottish charity. And we would extend a, a warm welcome to you to come along to any of our services. We meet every Lord's Day at 2 Thornwood Terrace. That's Upton Barton Road. You'll come to the police station. Opposite the police station, go up the hill. And you will first come to Thornwood Primary School. And we are next door on the crossroads. 
please come along 11 a.m. or again at 6 p.m. And also we meet on Wednesday at 7.30. And again, we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along in order that you might hear something more. Because as we come out in the street, it's limited to what we can see because you're simply passing by. What we seek to do here is to sow some gospel seeds. The Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And one reason why there are so few Christians in society today is because very few people actually go to a Christian place of worship where they might hear the Word of God read and where they might hear it proclaimed. And therefore, we take this opportunity to come out, to leave our manse behind, to leave our pulpits behind, and come out to seek to engage the population with the Christian gospel and the claims of Christ. And you know, friends, the, the Christian gospel is the answer to our greatest need and our greatest plight. And if we have believed upon the Lord Jesus, and if we know about the, the life-transforming effect of following Jesus, do you think we should keep the good news to ourselves? Put it like this in another way. If I had encountered a disease that was regarded as incurable, and I found someone who could cure it, and I kept that secret to myself, what would you think of me? What would you think if I had a terrible disease that was regarded as incurable, and somehow I found someone who was able to cure me of that disease, and I kept that good news to myself, would I not be regarded as a very strange individual? Would I not be one who would more than likely tell others, here, I had this terrible, life-threatening disease, but I found someone who can deal with it, someone who healed me. I'm sure he can heal you. And would I not go around telling everyone? Well, that's the way it is for the Christian. The Christian has come to faith, not in a man, but in the God-man. He has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten Son of God, who came down from heaven in order to seek and to save that which was lost. And he went to Calvary, there he showed his great love towards sinners. For he paid the ultimate price. He gave his life in order that sinners might have new life. There he was condemned by God in order that sinners would not be condemned. There he gave his life in order that others would not need to give their life. It's a glorious story, friends. It's wonderful. It's life transforming. And we do not want to keep this to ourselves. Instead, we want to tell you about the Son of God 
and what he's done and how there's a great hope before us because in of ourselves we have no hope. You know this, we have no hope. You know there's only one Savior. Who is that Savior? That Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is Him, the Son of God, who came from heaven. And how did He manage to save? He lived a perfect life. And then, friends, He went to the cross. You know, the cross is the very central theme of biblical Christianity. I believe He's God, of course. What about Adam? He was the Son of God according to the flesh. Yes. Adam, Adam was created by God from the dust. Not from the dust. No, no. You haven't been created from the dust. Sorry? Jesus was circumcised, yes. In order to fulfill the law, he was circumcised. I can't hear you, sir. Friends, Christianity is bound up in a person. And that person is the Son of God who became the Son of Man. And he became a man in order that he might be able to suffer. You know, as the Son of God, had he remained in heaven, he could never save any one of us. There would be no gospel. There would be no hope for mankind. But because the Son of God became the Son of Man, He took upon Himself our form, our nature. He became like us, and He lived a perfect life. And therefore, living a perfect life, He was able to offer up a perfect sacrifice. And that was enabled in order that He might be able to save His people. He worked out a salvation. He did everything that was necessary in order to save people. And what's required of you? You know, we talk about Jesus. We hold Him out to you. We tell you to call upon Him. That's what you must do. You must have dealings with Jesus. For He alone can save your sins. I know there are many people in this city who'll go to Mass and they'll go to confession and they'll open up before a priest and they'll tell the priest their sins but the priest cannot forgive your sins. The priest cannot even forgive his own sins. You must go to the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. He alone has power to forgive sins. Why? Because He's the one who suffered and died in the room and in the place of sinners. That's why. And that's why this is Christianity is absolutely unique. As I said earlier, there are many, many religions, and even in our city today, there are many, many people who practice different religions. Well, friends, we don't want to be disrespectful to anyone, but we'll tell you clearly and plainly, salvation is found in none other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The only way to be saved, the only way to be right with God, the only way to be in heaven at the end is to have Christ as your Lord and Savior. And whatever religion you're following, and whatever religious person you're following, 
If it's not Christ, then you will be disappointed because there's only one way to heaven. Jesus Himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. No one will get to heaven but by Jesus Christ. He's the one who has come down from heaven and He's the one who takes people to heaven. How does He take them? He takes them, friends, when you trust upon Him. That's what you must do. And how can you trust upon someone you know nothing about? That's why we come out. We want to introduce you to this person because, again, not being disrespectful, we live in a day and in a time when there is great ignorance regarding Christ and the Christian gospel. And therefore, we take this opportunity to come out into the highways and the byways and to tell you something concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to quote that verse to you. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. He alone has come down from heaven. He has first-hand experience of what it's like to be in heaven. And can you imagine then Him coming down to this world, Him coming down to this barren, sin-cursed wilderness of a world, what it must have been like for Him to leave the realms of glory and come to this world? Does that not tell us about the willingness of the Savior to save? He was willing to undertake all this does it not tell us something about the condescension of the Son of God? And indeed the Bible talks about this for us. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippians about the condescension of Jesus Christ. He says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man or the likeness of men I should say and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross oh there is so much in these words but they tell us about the son of God who came from heaven he was in the form of God. He's God in the flesh. And He came from heaven. Why did He do this? He came with a purpose. He came with a mission. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. On one occasion He said, For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's why He has come. He's come to save people. You see, friends, this is what we don't like to hear. This is what we'd like to put to the back of our minds. But the Bible tells us we need to be saved. We need to be saved. And there's no point in shaking your head because you'll come face to face with this reality one day. You need to be saved. What do you need to be saved from? First of all, you need to be saved from your sin. You need to be saved from its guilt. And this is something you know. 
and this is something you experience, and this is something that you're carrying with you, even this afternoon, as you pass by, or as you hear this, you're carrying with you your own personal sin, and it's a terrible burden, and very often it manifests itself. It comes to the forefront of your mind. Sometimes when you're quiet, maybe when you're trying to go to sleep, and your conscience is troubling you over something, and you cannot identify what it is. Well, I can tell you what it is, friends. It's your sin. And your sin is telling you that you're not right with God. And you're not right to meet God. This is the burden that you're carrying with you. It's not the, your shopping that you've got in the shopping mall, although that may well be bulky. It's more than this. This is invisible, yet it's real. And it troubles you. Well, friends, we have the remedy. What is the remedy? The remedy is that you might come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might have your sins forgiven. You know, maybe you're saying to yourself, well, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful to have a, a peaceful conscience and to be right with God and to know that when I pass into eternity, then I'll be with God. That will be a wonderful blessing. Oh, I would like to know that today. How can I know it? The only way you can know it is by coming to the Lord Jesus. And maybe then you're asking me, but will he receive me? I live a terrible life. I have lived a terrible life. I do terrible things. I'm a sinner. Will he receive me? That's why he has come. He has come not to save the righteous, but sinners. He has not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And this is the great hope that we have if we just but will recognize that we are sinners in the sight of God, then come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you read that gospel invitation in context, you will know that Jesus issued that gospel invitation to sinners who had heard the Word of God being proclaimed by Christ, who had seen miracles being performed by Christ, who had seen lives being changed by Jesus Christ, yet they remained hardened and unrepentant. And he rebuked them. But after he rebuked them, you can read it in Matthew chapter 11. Don't take my word for it. There in chapter 11, he rebuked the hardness of heart of people from Capernaum, where Jesus had his base during the early part of his ministry. And they knew all about him. They had heard his teaching. They had seen his miracles being performed. And they knew that lives were transformed, yet they did not repent. But he gives this gospel invitation even to them. 
come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Friends, that is the Word of God for us this afternoon. There, in the Word of God, the Lord is issuing an invitation to us all. It doesn't matter our nationality. It doesn't matter about the color of our skin. It doesn't matter what gender we are. It doesn't matter whether we be rich or poor, or educated or uneducated. The gospel goes out to all. Why? Because we all need it. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's God's verdict. That's not my verdict. That's God's verdict. That's what we find in His Word. We've all, like sheep, we've all gone astray, the Bible says. And all our good works that we take pride in are but filthy rags in the sight of God. There's only one way to get right with God, and that's through Jesus Christ the Lord. It's through accepting Him. It's through repentance and faith. What does repentance mean? You might well ask me, because we don't hear that. Especially if you go to church today, you won't hear much about repentance. But repentance is essential. It's all part of the gospel proclamation. Repent. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your evil thoughts. Turn away from your fornication. Turn away from your adultery. Turn away from your idolatry. Turn away from your lying. Turn away from your cheating. Turn away from your stealing. Turn away from your sins. That's what repentance means. It means to forsake your old life. Take up the new life. What's the new life? The new life is to be identified with Jesus. It's to have Him as Lord and Savior. It's to call upon Him. It's to believe upon Him. So I'm, I'm gay. I'm the happiest man that ever lived. I'm happy. I'm absolutely happy. I am truly gay. There's no one like me, I can assure you. You know, no one like me. I am gay, and I'm gay in the truest sense. I'm truly happy. Why am I happy? Because my sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. And what's more, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And there's a lightness about the step of the Christian. Why? Because he's right with God. And you know, friends, that's for us all. If we will but come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we will have forgiveness of sins, and we will be reconciled to God, and we will know the gift of eternal life. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to take a short break, and we do hope that God will bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon. It's good to be out again in the fresh air. And it's good to be on Buchanan Street. And we want to, by the grace of God and by the help of God, to bring to your attention uh, the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to introduce you to the, the very basics and the essentials of uh, Christianity. 
What is Christianity all about? Well, it's all about a person. It's all about what this person has done. And who is this person? Well, this person is the Son of God. And when we say the Son of God, we mean that He was God. God the Son. And this person, in the fullness of time, took upon Himself our form and our nature and became just like us. And that's important to realize that our Savior is not just God, if I can say that, and He's not just man. He is unique. He is the the God-man. And that is necessary for us to comprehend because it is a vital part of the Christian gospel. Our faith and our hope is not in a man, nor is it simply in God alone. It is in the God-man, the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one who has come from heaven. And he did this in order that he might become just like us, to take a true body and a reasonable soul. And if he was going to be walking about here in Glasgow, in Buchanan Street, we would not see anything significant about him. He would just be like any other ordinary man. But he became a man in order that he might live as a man, in order that he might fulfill the law of God. You see, God has given us a law, and we have that law written in our hearts. And more than that, we have it codified, or we have it written out for us in the Ten Commandments. And that law is how we are to live. But we cannot live that law. We cannot obey it. It is too holy. And we are unholy. That's the problem. But God hasn't changed the law for us. And that's why Jesus, when He came, He lived a perfect life. He fully, completely, entirely kept God's law. He never sinned in thought or word or deed. In other words, He is the only person that ever lived a perfect life. An absolutely perfect life. And then when the time came for Him to offer up a sacrifice, it was a perfect sacrifice. You might not know anything about the Old Testament, but you might be aware that in the Old Testament, God's people had to provide sacrifices. All of these sacrifices could never take away sin. But they were all pointing forward to that day when Jesus would offer up a perfect sacrifice. And this is what happened on Calvary. Jesus gave Himself. 
offered up a perfect sacrifice. He paid the price for sin. What is the price for sin? It's a heavy price. What is it? Well, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. That's what sin deserves. It deserves death. That's why Jesus died. But he did not die for his own sin because he had no sin. And it was impossible for him to sin. Why then did he die? He died as a substitute. He died in the room and in the place of sinners. And therefore, that's why we're able to come out with the gospel. To tell men and women and boys and girls that there's a way to be reconciled to God. We in of ourselves cannot be reconciled to God. And what's more, we don't want to be reconciled to God. No thanks, sir. No thanks. I'll ignore that remark. We're here to tell you the good news of the gospel. And what is the good news? The good news is that Jesus Christ has died in the room and place of sinners. In the way back in the beginning, when God created the heaven and the earth, everything was perfect. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing. By the word of his power, in the space of six days, and all very good. That is how God looked upon creation. And he created Adam out of the dust. And he created Eve from Adam. And when he saw his creation, he was able to say it was all very good. It was perfect. There was no sin. Nothing whatsoever. And man was given a very simple command. They could eat all, from all the trees in the Garden of Eden except from the tree of knowledge of good and except of the tree of knowledge of good and evil everything was perfect everything was brand new but the tempter came along and tempted our first parents and they fell they ate the forbidden fruit and since that moment in time things have changed what has changed well sin has entered in to human existence. What is sin? We should know this. What is it? Sin is any want of or conformity unto the law of God. Sin is any want of or conformity unto the law of God. In other words, it's breaking God's law. Or it's not keeping God's law. And this is what we are guilty of. Even today, we have done it. You might think, well, you don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. Friends, what does the Bible say? Jesus tells us that if we're to keep the law of God, the Ten Commandments, He sums it up like this. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And we are to love our neighbors 
as ourselves. That's how we are to keep the Ten Commandments. Have you done that today? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And do you love your neighbor as yourself? If you're honest with yourself, you will say, No, I haven't. I've fallen far short. Today you've got up. You've awoken from your sleep. Did you thank God for the sleep you have? Do you thank God for the food you eat, the water you drink, the air you breathe? Do you thank God for employment, for friends, for family, for spouses, for homes, for everything? Everything comes from God. He is the one who gives every good and perfect gift comes from above. God has given us these things. Do we thank God? Do we acknowledge God at all? The reality is, more than likely, we haven't given God a thought. And maybe as you're passing by this afternoon and you're hearing this, this is the first time that you've ever really thought about God and about the commandment He's given to you, that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, the Bible would tell us that we're lawbreakers. We're sinners. Sinners in the sight of God. Now that might not trouble you, but it's a big issue as far as God is concerned. Why? Because God is a holy God. And God cannot tolerate sin and will not tolerate sin. And that's why he has done something about our greatest predicament. What is our greatest predicament? As you pass by this afternoon, what is your greatest predicament? What's your greatest problem? Maybe it's unemployment. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's a relationship problem. Maybe it's a housing problem. Maybe it's a financial problem. These are things that do concern people. And they are real concerns. And no one is going to dismiss them. But there's something more important than that, friends. What is it? It is the fact that we are sinners in the sight of God. And we are not reconciled to Him. And that relationship that we should have with our Creator is not what it should be. And it cannot be restored by ourselves. Some people, when they, when they come to realize that they are sinners, they turn to religion or they turn to being charitable and they try to perform good works in order that they might find favor with God. That's not the way to get right with God. By the deeds of the flesh... Shall, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, the Bible says. The only way to get right with God is to avail ourselves of the salvation that He Himself has secured for us. What is that salvation? Well, that salvation is found in the Gospel. It is concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. That One who came 
not to destroy men's lives, but to save them, to give his life a ransom for many, to be testified in due time, the Bible says. And the Bible tells us that salvation is found in none other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And this then truly is our greatest need, our greatest plight. It is to be saved. It is to be saved from the consequence of our sins. Because friends, if we die in our sins, what will happen to us? The Bible tells us, we're all mortal, are we not? The Bible tells us, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Life is short, even at its longest. Death is certain. Sin is the problem, and Christ is the cure. You know, friends, we're all getting older. None of us are getting younger. We're all on a one-way street, as it were. And we're all heading towards eternity. Where will you go? You know, the, the world won't give us an answer. We don't talk about these things today. We don't talk about what affects every one of us. The atheist and the evolutionist will try to delude themselves by saying there is no God. And therefore, when we pass into eternity, it doesn't matter. There's nothing there. Their philosophy is we've, we've come from nothing and we're going to nothing. Therefore, just eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die, and tomorrow when we die, we cease to exist. That's the philosophy, and that's the great deluded hope of the atheist who says there is no God. But we know that to be nonsense. Absolute, utter, unscientific nonsense. How do we know it? Well, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world. He suffered. He died. He was put into a tomb. That tomb was sealed. Yet on the third day he arose. And he's alive forevermore. And we are proclaiming to you a Savior who did die and who was buried, but who's alive. And he is alive and he can no longer be touched by death. Death no longer has any grip or any hold upon him. And therefore we know there is life after death. And therefore I want to ask you this question, that when you pass into eternity, where will you go? The Bible tells us there is only two places. And we will go to one of two places. The Bible tells us we will go to be in heaven if we belong to the Lord Jesus. 
if we're Christians, if we follow Him, if He is our Lord, and if He is our Savior, we will be found in heaven. And in fact, the Bible tells us that when we believe upon Jesus at very moment, when we believe in Him, we have the gift of eternal life. But what if you're not a Christian? Where will you go? I said, the Bible recognizes one of two places. We'll either go to heaven or we'll go to that terrible place called hell. That place has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. Yet, that is a place where unbelievers shall go. It's a place of torment. It's called the bottomless pit on another occasion. It's a most terrible, terrible place to go. And Jesus, when he was in the world, and when he exercised his public ministry, he spoke about hell more than he did heaven. And you may well ask yourself, why did he do this? He did it in order that you might be warned and in order that you might not find yourself there at the end. So how can you possibly then avoid this terrible place called hell? It is to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's the one who suffered on Calvary's tree. He's the one who suffered the pains of hell on Calvary's tree. He's the one who suffered. He's the one whom God punished in our room and place for our sins. And if we will but believe upon Him, we will have forgiveness of sins. We will have the gift of eternal life. And we shall know newness of life. Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Friend, let me ask you, when you pass into eternity, would you not like to be in heaven? Well, there's only one way. You must be born again. You must have Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must be prepared for this place because this place is a holy place and it's for holy people. It's for people who have been born again by the Spirit of God. It is for people who are like Christ. And we cannot enter into it unless we have been reconciled to God because the Bible says that nothing impure shall enter in. And the wonderful good news of the Gospel today is that when we believe in Jesus, we are made fit for heaven. We have new hopes, new aspirations, a new nature, 
new goals, new aims, a new person, a new nature. It's all there in believing upon the Lord Jesus. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's new life. That's what Christ is all about. That is what Christianity is all about. It's about new life to be found in Him. Therefore, there is now, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that wonderful? That's what the gospel gives us. No condemnation to be right with God. That's what's there, friends, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to avail ourselves of him because we do not know that day when we will pass into eternity. Life is short. Death is certain. Sin is a problem. Christ is a cure. Here we have it in the gospel. If we want to be in heaven, if we want to be in glory, if we want to have our sins forgiven, we must call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must realize we are mortal. We're here today and gone tomorrow. The Bible tells us, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What is it that we're to do? We're to recognize we're mortal. We're to recognize that this is the day of grace. This is the time to get right with God. And that's why we come out in order to introduce this person to you. That you might have Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Without from allness, without from parted, <coughs> Free Church of Scotland. And we're handing out gospel tracts. If you've taken a track and you no longer want to hold on to it, please don't put it in the bin. Please return it to one and we'll happily take it from you. If you've got a tract and you don't want it, then please give it back to us. We're happy to accept them. Someone else will have it. Someone else will read it. Someone else will benefit from it. And we're glad to be out here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland continuing. And we meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace every Lord's Day, that Sunday at 11 a.m., and again at 6 p.m. And if you go up Dumbarton Road, you'll come to the police station first of all. And if you go up the hill there opposite the police station, you will come to Thornwood Primary School and then you will meet our building. And we give you a warm welcome. Come along any Sunday, Lord's Day at 11 a.m. or again at 6 p.m. or even on the Wednesday night. When we have our midweek meeting, we meet at 7.30. And we do extend a sincere and warm welcome to you all to come along. We want to tell you about the Savior. What does he say in his word? Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God 
and there is none else. There's no other Savior. There's no other way to be right with God. There's no other religion can save. There's no other Savior. Jesus Christ alone is absolutely unique. And we rejoice that he's still saving today. Some 2,000 years after he gave up himself, he is still saving sinners. And friends, we urge you to come unto him. Come unto him. Have your sins forgiven. Have the gift of eternal life. Take up the cross. Follow him. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's a wonderful thing to know that your eternal destiny is secure. It's wonderful to know that your Savior has done everything that he needs to do in order to save people. And that's why we come out this afternoon that you might have a somewhat introduction to him in order to whet your appetite, in order that you might seek him and that you might find him and know that he is the Savior who saves to the absolute uttermost. We're going to draw our time to a close. It's been good to be here. And we do pray that the Lord would bless his word to you uh, this afternoon.